Good morning. My name's Jolene, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. I'll be reading from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 29, and I'll be using the ESV translation. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, as I uh, took a look at this passage a couple weeks ago to begin to prepare for the message, I, <laughs> I was just struck by three words that it began with. And, and those three words are these uh, from verse 16. Uh, cleverly devised myths. Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. And, and that sets the stage for everything I want to share with you today. We, we live in a world where um, there is a lot of uh, heresy, false teaching, cleverly devised myths. Peter lived in a world like that. So before we get much further, I want to share with you what a, just, just a good definition of myth. The best one I could find was this, widely held but false belief or idea. Widely, wide, widely held but a false or uh, incorrect uh, belief. By contrast, we talk about absolute truth in the church of Jesus Christ here. We believe that God spoke to us and that we have in our possession His very words. And and that's kind of where we're headed with the message. So first and foremost, there's a huge difference between uh, what Peter was speaking about, these myths, and the absolute truth that we're privileged to know and, and, and study. And, and, and I mean, this passage is just so incredibly awesome, So as are most passages in the Bible. But, you know, uh, it talks about issues that relate to our eternal destiny. And the older I get, the more concerned I am with that issue. <laughs> so I want to I be sure I know truth uh, about what comes after this life. And uh, uh, that's really literally, if you knew my testimony, you'd know that's what brought me to Christ. Uh, someday, if you want to hear that, I'll uh, share with you. Just grab me. But, but the reality is I want to build my life. I want a foundation for my life that is built on the solid bedrock of absolute truth. You know, we, we live, as I've said, in a world that's uh, just surrounded by myths and false teaching. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's 3,000 cults in America. 3,000. 
That's a lot. Here's just a few. Uh, the Branch Davidians, the, the, the Heaven's Gates. Remember the people that committed suicide so they could go get on a, a, some kind of um, uh, rock that was flying through space. Uh, I mean, just crazy stuff. Uh, you know, the Unification Church, Scientology, the Watchtower Bible, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and uh, also the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. I want to pick on one of those, which is Mormonism, just to, just to give you some of the false beliefs that that, that particular, uh, quote, religion is founded upon. I, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, they say of the Book of Mormon within the Mormon church that it is the most accurate document ever uh, ever to arrive on this planet, yet it's been changed 3,000 times. Uh, a few years ago, they took out the, the thing that it said, white people are blessed and black people or dark-skinned people are cursed of God. Uh, so that doesn't make a lot of sense to me if it's the most correct book that they would change something. Uh, the book as well uh, is said to, uh, uh, at least is said of it, uh, none of the places that are mentioned in it, none of the, the locations or the people uh, have ever been found by archaeologists, ever. Uh, the names, the, the inscriptions, none of them exist. Uh, the book is said to be a translation from tablets that were uh, allegedly found in 600 B.C., yet the Book of Mormon quotes the King James Version of the Bible, which was not written until the 1600s A.D., so that's 2,400 years if you want to do the math. Just some specific things in the Book of Mormon which don't square well. Uh, in uh, Nephi 2, 1 Nephi 2.5.8, I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but it talks about a, a river, Laman, that empties into the, the Red Sea. Uh, archaeologists and geologists have never found such a river. Uh, in Alma 2, or 7.10, the Book of Mormon states that Jesus was born in Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, as the scriptures teach in second, uh, the second chapter of Luke's. Uh, also in Hellman uh, 14, 20 through 27, it says that uh, on the day that Jesus died, the earth was dark for three days when the Bible says it was simply three hours. I could go on and on. I have a five-page document with many, many more uh, statements like this. But it is a myth believed by many. Uh, we had a couple months ago when the temple in Fort Collins opened, a, a lovely couple, uh, an older gentleman, and actually not an older gentleman, a, a guy about my age, <laughs> and his wife showed up at the front uh, door at the end of service and, and gathered Dan and I and invited us over to the temple, and, and I just shared simply these same things with him. Uh, I don't believe anything that the Book of Mormon teaches. But by contrast, I want us to think more deeply uh, just, just to set the stage. Uh, what is it we believe? Why do we believe what we believe? What are our beliefs founded upon? What are our, why, are, why can our convictions be incredibly strong? And, and so that's what I want to talk about. You, you may be new in the faith. You may be walked with Christ for many years. You may be hang out with people that don't believe the Bible. You may be in your starting journey as a Christian, be confused by the Bible. There, there are many things that can create or so doubt in people's lives. And, and we're here to help people understand the Bible. We teach the Bible. We preach through the Bible. That's what this message is today, so that we can all understand what God has uh, desired for us to know about himself. And, and that brings us exactly to where I want to be as we start this uh, text today. Peter begins with these words, uh, which we've already heard part of, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what Paul is doing, or uh, Peter, excuse me, I'll do this all the time. I confuse Peter and Paul, sorry. Peter, um, that's because Paul wrote a lot more letters, uh, but you know that. Peter um, is drawing a line in the sand, and, and as we move forward in this study into the second and third chapter, uh, this, this passage is kind of the hinge of the book. Everything Dan has said up to this point is based or founded on the truths of Scripture. And all of the condemnation and judgment that will be proclaimed in chapters 2 and 3 against the heresies and false teachings and, and, and the made-up religions of our world is also based on the fact that what Peter saw along with others uh, was the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to dwell on today at His coming. This is a testimony to the truth of the gospel and everything written in this book, the Bible. And we start with uh, this eyewitness account that Peter speaks about. He was an eyewitness of the majesty of Christ. Uh, you know, and, and again, I want to remind you briefly, he lived in a world where there were myths, there were heresies, there was all kinds of false teaching. Uh, Timothy talks about this in that world. In uh, 1 Timothy 1.4, it says, to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, talks about made-up stories that are out there uh, in 3 4, 2 Peter 3, 4, they will say, where is the promise of His coming? You know, the truths and the promise that Jesus would return. You know, we're going to celebrate communion this morning. One of the things I want you to do as you go to the table at the end of the service is thank God that Jesus is coming back. He said, for whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup declares what? Jesus is coming back. And, and that's the essence and the heart and the power of our gospel and so we need to bear that in mind. So that's what we're going to talk about. Jesus was uh, at a place where he took James, John, and Peter to a special place. And, and let's join me if you want to in your Bibles in Matthew 17, 1 through 8. It's uh, what's referred to as the transfiguration. This is the event that is behind the words that uh, Peter speaks here. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' majesty that was revealed uh, on this mount. It says there in Matthew 17, 1-8, it's also recorded in Luke and Mark 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brothers, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone bright like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. <clears throat> and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. You know, <laughs> I just love Peter. You know, uh, wouldn't it be great if Jesus would just do this and we could all set up our tents around Jesus and be done with this life and this world? That, that, that's what I'd like. That's what I'm sure all of us would like. But Peter just, man, this is so cool. Let's just stay here. I'll make some tents for us and cool. Anyway, it goes on to say, if you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. 
And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. What, what this event is, is a, a, a time of testimony for Jesus. He took his three chief disciples, the men closest to him, up on this high hill, and he was transfigured in their presence. He revealed uh, his deity. Remember, Jesus is what? Fully God and fully man. He didn't add or change anything about himself. He just allowed before their presence, I believe, the, the glory of his deity to show through, to, to, to be evidenced to their eyes. They witnessed that. They saw it. Can, can you imagine being there? I, I can't. I, that's kinda, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I read scripture and I read accounts like this. Oh, Lord, can you just imagine being there and seeing Jesus Christ transfigured before your eyes? Well, we'll see that one day. And the apostles saw it here, and they saw it in the upper room. And John, when he was in Revelation, saw the same thing. There it, it talks about uh, uh, his glory. We'll, we'll, we'll share that scripture in, in a moment with you. But, but the idea is he was glorified and transfigured in their presence. They came and they bore witness to that. They didn't embellish it. They didn't change it. They just told what they saw. Uh, as clearly and as succinctly and as powerfully as they could. He, they said, <laughs> was, wow, sh- his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. This is a basis for the testimony of Peter. Uh, when we think of the Bible, I, I just want to share a few facts with you about the Bible. The Bible is a trustworthy book, unlike the Book of Mormon, as we've seen. Just some things to bear in mind about the Bible. Number one, there is more manuscript evidence to support the truth of the Bible than any other book ever written, ancient, any other ancient book. The more archaeologists dig, the more they prove the truthfulness of the Bible. The more they dig, the more they find it substantiates and shows the Bible to be correct and accurate. Uh, of, of all of the... Uh, uh, accounts that occur in the Bible, uh, they, they were recorded by eyewitnesses, one of whom was Peter. Uh, many of the eyewitnesses faced great persecution or death because of their faith. Peter went on to face that. Uh, the legends say that he was crucified upside down. We don't have any direct proof of that. Nothing in the scriptures say that, but but the, the legends say Peter chose to be crucified when they took his life for his testimony for Christ and he asked to be crucified upside down but he did not feel he was worthy to be crucified even in the same way that Christ was. He took the conviction of that mountaintop, what he saw of Christ, he took it to his death believing with all his heart it was true. I just want you to see that 
was behind this. And, and this is not the only witness from the apostles. Uh, they saw Jesus do what? Walk on water. They saw him calm storms. They saw him turn water into wine. They saw him take two fish and five loaves and feed 5,000 people. They saw him raise the dead. So when Peter talks of this one event, I want you to remember it's the whole New Testament, the whole gospel, the whole account of Christ's life that is in view here. They were witnesses to these things. They saw, heard, and touched Christ. In this instance, they heard God speak, and we'll talk more about that. But behind all of this, I I want us to understand this is the truth of the Bible that we possess. Uh, Many, many other things I could say to you about that. We we just don't have time today. But, But the reality is, Peter is bearing testimony to the absolute truth of his encounter with God in Christ's presence on this mountain. He, James, and John. And he lays it out as truth that Jesus Christ came with power and majesty into our world. And one of the questions is, why did he come? He came to be the Savior of the world. Uh, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world Jesus' coming in power and majesty was a display, a provision of God's power, a way for God to say He loves you and He loves me and those of us who believe in Him will have life eternal. That's the promise. And, and all of that is founded and rooted and built upon the truths of these apostles, their testimony, their witness. That's why it happened. Let's move on in the passage, and, and I want to get into what was uh, seen and heard a, a bit more deeply. In verse 17 of Second Peter 1, we read these words, For when he received, and, and now Peter's speaking about Jesus, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. What what Peter describes here is is in more detail his remembrance of the event. And he tells us that what transpired uh, came to him as an understanding this was God's honoring of Jesus Christ for his life on this earth. It was ascribing glory to him before the very eyes of men. It was exalting Christ as high as he could be exalted uh, for men to witness. That's what this was about. And so um, Peter, James, and John saw this, and and they saw that Christ was honored. And the, the idea behind that word is his exalted status. He is God incarnate. He is God come in flesh to deliver us through his death. And again, at the, at the end of the service, you're going to be invited to partake of the bread and the cup. And we do this when we do it every week through this series. But uh, whenever we do it, we're to remember what? That the bread is his broken body. He took your sin to Calvary and he died in your place. We're called to remember that. When we drink the cup, we're called to remember that without the shedding of blood, the Scripture says there is no remission of sin. And so when we come to the table, we're called to remember these things. And they're a testimony to why Christ came into our world. It's it's honor that God is giving for all that Christ did up to this point and all that He would do. 
He was glorified, and the text says uh, that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Uh, The idea here is he revealed his glory as fully God and fully man. I don't know how all that happened, but I know based on the witness and the truth of Peter, James, and John that he revealed to him what he will look like when we see him in heaven in all of his glory and splendor. He won't have flesh and blood in in the way that we do. He will have his eternal glorious body there. There will be marks and wounds, but it will be glorified as the scriptures tell us. Other passages remind us of this same thing. In in Luke, it says it a bit differently. It says this. He says, And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And again, the word here is to be metamorphed. It it is to be transformed or altered in appearance. And uh, the, the scriptures do not allow us to say Jesus was changed in his nature. He was simply changed in his appearance. He revealed his glory to these disciples. And God honored him for that. This is the incredible Jesus that we follow. (laughs) He showed himself as glorious in our world. Um, The Apostle John saw him in the book of Revelation this way. uh, In heaven, the hairs... uh, This is Revelation 1, 14 and 15. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool. Just try to picture in your mind as I read these words what Jesus looked like there. Like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like that of many waters. These are pictures or uh, biblical descriptions of Jesus glorified. And they're those things that we will see of him there. He revealed that to these witnesses. And they bear testimony through the truth of the word to us today. They, the, the vision, the, not the vision, the, the experience, the, the witness was given to them. It wasn't a vision. It was an actual literal event. It was given to them that they might write about it for our sake, not only for their benefit, but for our benefit. Not only did they see, but during this, God spoke God spoke audibly. They heard God's voice saying these words, uh, uh, this is my son, uh, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. This, this is God's affirmation. This is, this is God's declaration. This is God's annunciation of Christ, the glorious son of God who came into our world to be our sin bearer. So the the transfiguration was the majestic, glorious appearing of Christ and God's glorious description through his words of Christ. And and, and it's called, or or we're told that this this pronouncement pronouncement came out of a cloud uh, of majestic glory. And and what what I believe Peter is, is referring back to is the Shekinah glory cloud of the Old Testament where God led and spoke to Israel out of the cloud. That same thing happened. The cloud came over them and God spoke to his son in their presence, just like he did when Jesus was baptized. The point of all this is, this is, this is one in whom we can trust. The, the message is from God, not from men. I, I'm going to say this, I, I think it's true. Every religion on this planet, except one, is from men. 
It's conjured up in the minds and the imaginations and in the thoughts of men. This is not a man-made religion that we embrace. This book is not a book made by men. It is a book given by God, as we will see uh, in, in a bit. But it is given that we might know Christ and that we might believe the gospel and that we might we might embrace it and live in the power of the gospel because of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. You know, this was all given toward the end of Peter's life. He knew he was about done with this life. And and if there was one thing he wanted to leave with us, it's this truth that, that what he saw, what he bears witness to, the testimony that he gives, it is the absolute truth of God's working in our midst. His, his eternity, His glory, Peter's was secure because of all this. And, and, and that brings us to this issue. How many messages are out there that are believable about our eternal destiny and salvation? One. Just one. And it is the revelation that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. He was seen in glory. God affirmed Him and spoke honor and praise to Him. That's the message. That's the one I'm going to follow to my grave. Well, let's go on. Peter adds to this some other powerful stuff that really relate to the Word and, and really intersect well with this truth. He says in verse 19 and 21, these things, And we have the prophetic Word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no, listen closely, no prophecy of Scripture came from anyone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men. But man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter, in preparation for what's to come in the rest of this book and his refutation of the heretics and the myths and the false teaching of his world, which is just as legitimate and true as it is today, this is not just based on his eyewitness, but on the prophetic word that has been given to the church and believers from the beginning of this book to the end of it. From Genesis to Revelation, the entire book, the prophetic utterance. And, and Peter is, is reminding us that God gave us this book. He spoke it through his prophets to uh, be given to us who believe, that we would have a guide, uh, we would have a path forward, we would be able to know the way. So th- this, this whole passage is one incredible uh, apologetic for, for, for the Bible and the truthfulness of our faith based on the revelation from God. God speaking His Word to prophets who then wrote it down. Uh, the eyewitness accounts of the miracles and the, the activities of Christ on this earth. And, and Peter draws our mind back to that. So let's dig a bit deeper into these truths. He, he first says that, and we have a prophetic word more fully confirmed. Uh, what does this mean? Uh, some, some interpreters believe that, that what it means is that what Peter saw, the, this, this incredible uh, experience he had on the mountain where Jesus was glorified before his eyes, he heard God speak, literally confirms all of the prophecies of the Old Testament. You know, God was sending his son into the world. He would come in, in a human body. He would be the savior of the world. 
Some say, no, it, it really is. If you can't believe what Peter saw, then uh, go to the prophets and you'll find the same message there. Uh, the reality is God's Word is God's Word. And, and both support and build on each other. The New Testament confirms and, and, and explains and gives culmination to the old. The old sets the basis for the salvation that is come and of Christ. And, and so they work together. And, and the point is here, what, what he says next, and, and it's very simply this, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Uh, in Peter's day, the world was a dark place. Do any of you think the world we live in is a dark place? Yeah. Anybody awake today? <laughs> Have you listened to the news lately? We, we live in a dark world. And, and our culture is reaping that darkness in so many ways. And, and what Peter's saying is, yeah, you live, you, they lived in a dark world, we live in a dark world, but God has made a provision for us. There is, uh, and we're called to pay attention to it, a lamp shining in this dark world, and that is His Word. This book. This book is the path for our feet. This book is the guide to help us through the difficulties and the challenges and the hardships of this day. This book is given to us so we will not follow false teachers, false prophets, and people who come up with myths. This book is the authoritative, all-powerful, all-important Word of God. And we will do well, he says, if we, we not only study it, but we follow it until the day comes and the morning star shines. What does that mean? It means the day is the second coming of Christ until He returns to this earth. And at that point, you will be glorified. You, you, you will be made uh, eternal in your physical being, and you will be glorified, and you will be with Him forever. Uh, the morning star is the coming of Christ here. The, the word is phosphorus. Anybody ever lit phosphorus in chemistry lab? What happens? Really big light. And it just refers to Jesus as the what? Light of the world. Those who follow him do what? They do not walk in darkness. And that's the whole purpose of this book and God's word is, is that we would find his truth, his absolute truth, to lead our lives forward so that we are not infected, overcome, distorted, tainted by this dark world, that we would live for his glory, that we would live uh, for his honor and praise, that we could proclaim this truth to the world around us. And that is uh, you know, what Peter would hope for us. And he goes on to define now for us the origins of the prophets. He says there, <clears throat> uh, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What he's saying is not one word in this book is from human origin. Now God used men. His Spirit spoke to them and through them, but these words were not the words of men. Do not think in your mind somehow or another that, that a prophet got an inspired thought from God. They processed it in their mind. They massaged it a little bit and they wrote it down on paper. That is not what Peter is saying. He's saying God so superintended the process of the inscription of His Word, His revelation. It's through a process called inspiration. God inspired through His Spirit the biblical writers, all 40 of them, so that every word they wrote was the exact word that God wanted written. 
If you go back to the Hebrew or the Greek, the verb, the tense, the, the person of the verb, every word in every sentence was purposed by God to be written by the prophet. So the prophet heard and spoke what God spoke to them. They didn't change it. They didn't adulterate it. They didn't do anything to it but write it down or speak it on God's behalf. So when we read this book, we are reading God's Word. We speak of the Bible being verbally and plenarily inspired. That means every word in this book is inspired of God. Every word, all the words of the Bible are totally given by God. So with that in mind, that's what we have. This is a prophecy we can build our lives on. Uh, this is the word that we can grow and know and, and, and build our lives upon and share. And, and so I just want to challenge us as we kind of meditate, as we get ready to come and take the Lord's table. First, this book is absolute truth. It is God's word. This isn't a human book. This is a divinely inspired book by the, by the, the God of the universe through the Spirit so that we would know we would have a, a path, a light to show us the way to live in this life, in this world. That's what this book is. It's inspired by God. It is His revelation. And we are called to read it and be, what? Renewed in our thinking. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the Word of God renew your mind about life and about all of aspects of, of our walk in Christ. This is how we know and we grow and eventually hopefully we go it's to be obeyed uh, remember what peter said uh, a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts until jesus comes this is our book this is our manual this is this is our guide there is nothing else for us other than the spirit as he takes god's word and applies it to our life and heart it's this book it's this word and then one day, when He comes, we will, we will go and be with Him, and He will glorify us at that point. But between now and then, we're to call to study, know, and obey this Word, and go tell others. Understand, this is not a human book. It is not a human document. Although humans were involved, they were moved and, and guided by the Holy Spirit to write and, and put down exactly what God wanted. But it is not a human book. It is di divinely inspired. So as we contemplate that and, and remember that as you come to the table this morning, uh, we want you to just go, uh, come down the walls and go back up the aisles as, as we've been doing the last few weeks. Take the bread cup, go to your seat. When you feel uh, God has uh, met with you, uh, feel free to take the bread and the cup on your own. Remembering it's Christ's body and it's his shed blood for you. And we do this until he comes.